Welcome to the Nativist Podcast, where we tap into our instinct and natural power to live intuitively. The ultimate goal is to leave the world healthier and more beautiful than we found it. It all starts on the individual level by cultivating our mind-body connection. Whether you're on a healing journey or just want to look and feel your best, I hope by the end you feel a little happier, a little more inspired, and a little more invested in yourself and the world. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Nativist Podcast. This is another solo episode. I had an idea and went for it. So today's topic is connection, and connection is something I wholeheartedly believe in. It is so important in our personal lives, in our collective lives, in everything. Why? I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Connection is key. It's why I constantly pose the questions I do. You know how I love my questions on here, on social media, in person. If you know me, I'm constantly asking questions. Even my Would You Rather Wednesday questions that I ask every Wednesday. If you follow me on Instagram, you know I post five Would You Rather questions in my stories and it's my favorite to do. That's far and away the feedback that I get from everybody that that's their favorite too. And I always like to ask a really hard one as the fifth question, but those all have purpose. I mean, it's for fun. Sure. Part of that is just for kicks and giggles, but the larger part is to connect you to yourself. Fun fact. That's why. To deepen your awareness of yourself, to assess and realize your views, to facilitate your familiarity with yourself, with your fears, your values, your hopes, your possible blind spots, your biases, your everything that makes you you. So let's define connection and let's call on Brene Brown, the queen, and this is how she defines connection. The energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. Important stuff, right? It's paramount. It really is. It's one of the reasons, actually the biggest reason why I love public speaking and teaching. It's because it allows me to connect with people. That's why I love the nativist. It allows me to connect with people. Like I said, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it throughout this, connection is important. Let's talk for a minute about caring about what other people think. So this all ties in. And I recently did a post about caring what people think in follow-up to what we often hear to not care about what people think. And that's valuable and true. I care what people think. To a large part, I don't, but here, let me clarify. I have posted in the past about not caring about what others think and I wanted to clarify and specify. So I think it's largely unrealistic and potentially damaging to self and others to not care at all what others think. We're wired to care and this is why we care for personal reasons, for professional reasons, for safety, economic and psychological reasons. It's not bad to care what people think somewhat. Doing so can nurture and reveal connection empathy, and respect. So here's when caring about what people think becomes problematic. If it facilitates codependency, 
if it inhibits you from respectfully speaking and living your truth, your rights, your expressions. And there is a time, sure, when you can just say what you mean without worrying about respect. But side note, okay, back to our list. So it's problematic if it affects your access and your allegiance to your intuition, if it clouds your sense of self, if it subjugates or diminishes yourself, if it harms your mental and or physical health. So this doesn't mean that we should live in a happy land of delusion, rejecting anything that doesn't stroke our ego and block any time we're presented with areas we need to grow. That's not what that means at all. It's problematic if we consistently prioritize others' opinions over our own, and if it stops us from trying that new hobby, wearing that hat, attending that event, taking that picture, setting that boundary, shooting that shot, dancing that dance. So if any of the above hit a nerve, give yourself a break. Virtually all humans can relate to at least one of those, And it's not like we can just reason our way into stopping. And in this modern world, we're shamed for both caring and not caring, right? Damned if we do and damned if we don't. But we can reclaim our power. So caring about others' thoughts helps us connect to them. That word again, receive constructive feedback so we can evolve, so we can see our own blind spots, so we have a safeguard against cruelty, and so we can avoid being a butthead. Whom you trust, listen to, and surround yourself with matter. It really does matter. An opinion source matters. Everyone may have a voice and the right to express it, but not all of those voices need to penetrate your inner layers. Everyone matters, but not everyone's opinion has to matter to you. If the opinion comes from a place of disrespect, that may not be the one that you want to heed. And this goes both ways, right? People don't have to mind our opinion either. Just because we have one doesn't mean that people need to agree with it, right? And the sweet spot comes from respecting yourself and others, maintaining, not ceding your personal power, and cultivating a solid foundation of true, honest self-love so you're not shattered by one opinion. Okay, so yes, it's okay and it's actually beneficial, can be, to care about what other people think. And like I said, we're wired for connection. And connecting yourself is the first part we'll get into that but that's what comes first everything else is predicated upon self-connection how connected you are to yourself and connecting to yourself is not only for your individual good but for the collective good for the greater good when we connect with ourselves we can then connect with others and positively impact the world but it starts with us it starts with self everything it starts with self That's what bleeds out into the world, ripple effect. So why should it matter to us, right? Why is it important to connect with others even? I mean, if you want to go there. And like I said, we're wired for it. And that's how we can shape the world that we want to live in. And connection begets love, which is what we all need, right? I dare you to say we don't need any more love. We do. The world does. Everybody does. So actually one of the things that really gets to me the most is just thinking of people feeling disconnected and not seen or heard that really guts me to think about been there before even though I have wonderful people in my life still still the way life sometimes shakes out or is or you know just works out I felt unseen unheard unvalued and it sucks it's debilitating It affects everything and it colors your life. Well, decolors your life, I should say. It's just 
so devastating. It really is. And so that's largely what drives me to do what I do and to create the content that I do, to hold space for people to be authentically themselves so we can connect, grow, and learn from each other so they can feel seen, valued, and heard. That's what I want. I want you, you listening to this, I want you to feel seen and valued and heard. I care about people's feedback. I care about what they say. I care about what they think about. Ooh, I like how I slipped that in unintentionally. But yes, I because I care about how it affects you and I care about how you can use it to connect to yourself and then how that connects all of us to each other. So big work. (laughs) Just kidding. No, I don't think that I'm that lofty or important, but I mean, we're all important in our own way, right? Okay. So back to what I was saying. So to have someone understand your mind is a different kind of intimacy and loneliness and social isolation can actually be fatal. Did you know this? It's actually really predictive of predictive of people's health and long-term health and mortality. And so cdc.gov, let's talk stats, associated Uh, loneliness and self-isolation with higher risks of depression, anxiety, and suicide. Loneliness among heart failure patients was associated with a nearly four times increased risk of death, 68% risk hospitalization, and 57% increased risk of ER visits. Those are big numbers. Psychology Today. Lonely people are 50% more likely to die prematurely than those with healthy social relationships. The pandemic really affected this. It increased this. It definitely did for me. I don't know about you, but it really did the isolation. And so I am an ambivert, both introvert and extrovert. So during pandemic, I really leaned into that introversion. And then I really, really freaking leaned into it. (laughs) That's basically all I've wanted. And then just personal, I mean, gosh, so much to talk about here with the pandemic and how that really facilitated disconnection but um, I had some personal stuff too like my face stuff that I'm going through and that's really made me want to hide out and that really fueled the disconnection too but also just the division in the U.S. specifically and the world too but in the U.S. with politics with science with all of that really really led to even more disconnection and it really nurtured a lot of judgment and that creates disconnection and that just really blocks off any connection at all and that affects you whether you realize it or not and maybe you can relate to that maybe you felt a lot more disconnected from people physically mentally emotionally everything you felt more judgmental of people more triggered you felt more opinionated um And a lot of that boils down to connection or lack thereof. And it it really is fascinating and kind of unnerving to think about how much it affects us. So let's talk about what can block our connection. Okay, so if we're trying to connect to ourselves and others, um, sometimes there are things that can get in the way. Layers that are either self-applied or self-accepted, I guess you could say, like we accept those layers or we're applying those layers ourselves to block connection. And this can be consciously, this can be subconsciously without knowing that we're doing it. 
it's natural to anticipate what others will want from us, right? And then to try to fulfill that, to feel like we belong to the person, the clique, the group, the community, the space, the world. And feeling like we belong is a strong, deep-seated, biological, instinctive driver in us humans. This harks back to our hunter-gatherer days. Our survival depended upon our sense of belonging, the in-group, out-group idea. We needed to be in the in-group to survive, to be alive, to get food, to get protection, to get also the social connection and that nurturing that is so important. And let's go back to Brene, who always delivers. She defines belonging, true belonging, as the spiritual practice of believing in and belonging to yourself so deeply that you can share your most authentic self with the world and find sacredness in both being a part of something and standing alone in the wilderness. And I love both. She just really nails it on all fronts with this definition. She adds, true belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. Let's repeat that. Okay. True belonging doesn't require you to change who you are. It requires you to be who you are. And did you notice how she also prioritizes self-connection and acceptance? She conditionalizes belonging upon believing in and belonging to yourself first. That's the prerequisite. You have to belong to yourself first. You have to connect to yourself first. I mean, you might have heard the saying that people can only meet you as deeply as they've met themselves. It's true. It's true. And anticipating people's needs. And if we anticipate these needs and then we're not being ourselves, those around us can sense the authenticity or lack thereof. They can sense if we're being inauthentic. Whether they realize that they can sense that or not, whether that realization and awareness of that inauthenticity is conscious or subconscious, they can sense it. You Think about you. Think about when you can sense when somebody's not being genuine, when somebody's not being authentic, when somebody's not being their true self. You can sense when somebody's not quite connected to themselves it matters and it affects your interactions. It's no longer you that people can connect to. They can't connect to you. But abandoning ourselves to try to meet external or perceived expectations can distance us from our true self. We don masks and personas and habits and sayings that don't quite fit. They don't fit us. They're not us. They don't reflect our true thoughts, emotions, selves. And like my friend Jennifer says, she is a phenomenal artist and fellow deep thinker. And we haven't met in person, but one day that will change. And you can find her at Jennifer Illustrations on Instagram. Shout out to Jennifer. She wrote a post on this and I read it. I was taking a break from writing this podcast episode and it aligned perfectly with this episode. So I told her that I would reference it. And this is my shout out to you, Jennifer, you rule. And so like she says, it's no longer you. They can't connect to you. There's something blocking that. It's like those layers or there's a film or whatever, however inauthentic you are, disconnected you are from yourself is how much further they are from you the least amount that they can connect to you, I mean, it will affect your interactions. So how do we connect? By first connecting to ourselves, like we've said before, and like Brene said. So if Brene said it, it's true, right? We figure out who we are. That's the first part. That's the first step. 
and we do this to the best of our ability. I mean, I know that sometimes this can be hard, right? It sounds so simple, but sometimes it can be tough. This is a lifelong process too. I mean, I like to think that I'm pretty self-aware and still, I'm 34 and still I'm making connections and unraveling parts about myself and making discoveries and realizing, and I'm a reflector and a deep thinker and I thought I had myself figured out. No, still, I'm still figuring myself out, building upon my earlier discoveries and connections, but deepening and expanding that connection to myself and thereby allowing me to proportionally connect to others more. And it's such a cool process. I mean, it can be really rattling sometimes and messy and challenging, but so rewarding. While I was thinking about this episode, I came up with this analogy and then I just really kept running with it because it really just took on a life of its own. So I thought about how connecting to yourself really is a lifelong process and it has lots of pit stops and circle backs and U-turns, speed fluctuations, zigzags, course corrects, etc. Sometimes the road is smooth, sometimes it's not. Sometimes we cruise, sometimes we break down. If we've maintained our vehicle, should we say, which aka is mind and or body, we're well functioning, right? But if not, if we've neglected ourselves or haven't prioritized connection, then it can be a bumpier ride. We're not really sure how to use our gauges. We're not really sure what those signals mean or those warning lights mean. We're not really sure what those sounds mean or what to do with all of the gears and the instruments and all of that. Sometimes we just need a tune-up and sometimes we need a complete overhaul. And if you leave metaphorical space, let's say for yourself, you don't have as cramped of a ride. So if you're holding space for your emotions, your journey and your humanness, then you're riding in a spacious limo. But if not, you're in one of those teeny tiny little toy cars and you're flintstoning and working so much harder than you need to be and making it so much harder on yourself. And sometimes we have a map. Sometimes we have the wrong map. Sometimes there's a glitch in the guidance and we're left to our own devices, relying on our inner compass, our inner sense of direction. And that's really how it should be, right? That's how we're really going to get to where we need to go. But we can't outsource this trip or call Uber or anyone else who may offer the service because lots of people offer the service. And lots of people will give advice and say they have it all figured out and give you guides. And sometimes they really can be helpful guides. And more often than not, your guide is the only guide that's going to work. Your compass is the only true compass. Your North Star is the only true North Star. And no one can make the trip but us. No one can connect ourselves to us but us. They may help along the way, offer gas or fuel or whatever else that we need to keep us going on our trip, but it's not going to work if we don't do it ourselves. I mean, it's crucial. And finding our way back to ourselves, which can be trying to discover for the first time who we even are or really going back to ourselves, this can feel discombobulating, bewildering, confusing, chaotic, but incomparably rewarding, incredibly rewarding. And like I said before, connecting to ourselves is how we connect to others. And the more connection points that we have to ourselves, the more that we have for others, the more are available to connect to others. So the level of connection we have to ourselves is directly proportional to the level of connection we have 
to others, that the extent to which we can connect to others. This is another reason why authenticity is so important to me too, and I don't want to get too political or opinionated here, but it's important to me that people leave space for others, that people accept others, their other their way of life. Rule that I live by is to live and let live, unless it harms another, but to live and let live. And sometimes we have varying perceptions of what does truly harm another. But this is Pride Month, right? So I'll just say it breaks my heart when I think about kids and adults too, but especially kids not being able to live their truth and to be made to feel ashamed of who they are. That just devastates me. To be told that you're not good enough or that you don't know yourself or that something's wrong with you for whom you love or how you feel or how you identify or how you view the world, whether it's your outlook on religion or philosophy or fashion or sexuality, whatever it is, it guts me to think that people can rob others of that that sense of connection or I guess you can't truly rob another of that, but you can really disrupt it. And parents, if they disown their kids or shame their kids or refuse to accept their kids for being themselves, if they don't want their kids to do certain activities like ballet or theater for fear of what others will think, that's when, going back to what I said about what people think, that's when it's problematic. And just to not be able to feel accepted for your truth do you know how just debilitating and devastating that is that it's just awful it's just incomprehensible to live like that to me because I've just been accepted I mean sure here and there growing up in a very religious community when I stepped away you know you get opinions on what you should be doing with your life but overall like I really have been accepted and I just cannot just imagine not being accepted by my parents so just please find it in your heart I hardly ask you to tell or tell you how to live your life but really if you can find it in your heart just please entertain the thought of just accepting people for who they are not imposing your thoughts and your beliefs on others and holding space for them when you're connected to yourself you're actually able to accept others that's the thing that's why this is so important because when we're not connected to ourselves, that's when we're judgmental. That's when we can't accept others. If you're unsure, that's a perfect segue, unintentional, but perfect segue. So if you're unsure of how connected to yourself you are, here are some questions just off the cuff, but questions that you can ask yourself to help gauge. Simple, surface, but actually pretty deep questions too. So first of all, do you know what you want for dinner? for vacation, for a wardrobe, for a job, for life. Go as far and wide with that as you want to. Do you know what you want? How indecisive are you? This is a big one because I that's one thing that I really have to work on is decisiveness and making decisions. And there's a lot that goes into that and why I am the way that I am, but and why you are the way that you are if you're decisive or not. But how are you? Are you decisive? How often do you stall or defer on decisions, big or small, if you're picking out toothpaste or if you're picking out a house? How decisive are you? How comfortable are you advocating your needs and your wants? This is big too, and this is something that I didn't realize how disconnected I was from myself on. 
I thought that I was such an advocate for myself and I really wasn't. That was one of my biggest regrets, I could say, in life was not advocating for myself more. When I say regret, I accept it and everything is for a reason and I'm, I'm happy for that journey and I'm happy that it's led me to the experiences that I've had, but I really would have loved to have advocated more for myself in the past, especially at work. In relationships, sure, but especially at work. Okay, so like I mentioned earlier, how accepting of others are you? Not just of yourself. If you look at how accepting you are of others, how judgmental you are of others, how much you gossip, how just silently or openly, vocally judgmental you are, that's a good litmus test. Others mirror our own securities. If we're judging others for being too loud or obnoxious or this or that, it's usually something that we don't like in ourselves. It's us projecting onto others. So that's a good way, good place to start. How accepting of others are you? And I found that often people can hate on others or dislike, if you want to take it to a lesser degree, others living in their truth because they wish that they had the strength and the courage to do so. They do. They just have to tap into it and discover it within themselves. But they resent people who are living their truth and living authentically because they're like, no, I'm living in discomfort or torture or I I just am so unaccepting of myself and I'm so ashamed of myself. This is my experience. It's not fair that another would not have to have that experience. If I have to live in shame, why don't others have to live in shame? If I don't feel like I have the space and the freedom and the acceptance from others and for myself to live my truth, why do others get to? That's not fair. And you can see how that breeds resentment. And that's what drives that hatred and that dislike and that resentment of others for living their truth. And it's masked as self-righteous anger, but it's anger is the ultimate mask. It masks fear, insecurity, hurt, pain. Anger is just a surface. Symptom is not the cause. Okay, back to questions on to gauge how connected you are to yourself. How easily rattled are you? How swayed can you be by external conditions and situations and remarks here and there and the temperature and all of that? How rattled are you by somebody's negative opinion of you? How connected are you to your values, yourself, your sense of worth, your sense of happiness, your sense of self-acceptance? How much peace do you feel with yourself and your situation? The more connected you are to yourself, the more at peace you feel. How in tune with your body are you? This isn't just emotional connection or psychological connection. This is also physical connection. That's all tied, right? Psychosomatic, your biology, your biography, and vice versa. How connected to your body are you? Do you know when you're hungry what you're craving? Do you know why you're craving that? Do you know if that's a weird sensation or if that's normal? Do you know how just connected do you feel to yourself? What's your favorite color? What does success mean to you? What instantly relaxes you? What triggers you? What was a defining moment in your life? What really clued me in? I'm really good at asking questions, not actually necessarily that great at answering questions, truth be told. And so I've really made an effort especially lately, to answer the questions that I ask, even if it's mentally, when I'm posting questions on social media, 
and or any questions that I come across, like if I'm listening to podcasts or whatever, like I'll try to answer them myself because it's a good way for me to dial into myself and get a better sense of myself. It's a great way to get to know yourself and things will change and your answers likely will fluctuate and vary and evolve. And I mean, that's just the nature of it. But right now, who you are right now, do you know who you are? Where have you been? Where are you now? And what direction are you faced to go? And I intentionally phrased it that way because where are you going? I know sometimes we live too far in the future and there's admirability in living in the present. But I think, again, it all comes back to balance. If you just balance your orientation and it's important to live in the present, but also I think it's important to live in the future too and just get a sense of the trajectory that you're on, where you're facing, where you're going. Just have a sense of it. And how well you know yourself helps you know why you do what you do and say what you say and want what you want, fear what you fear. And I really am still unraveling myself. And like I posted actually about today, I posted about a fear that I had that I couldn't figure out the cause of. Talking to my mom, she figured it out. My whole life I've had this, I thought, unfounded fear of being falsely accused of something and then having to assert my innocence and it seriously kills me and it's not ideal for the line of work that I'm in and especially what I have to do for that so it just kills me it's I don't know why such a strong fear of mine to be falsely accused of something and my mom traced it back to first grade so I remember my first grade teacher standing in front of the entire class and sharing her theory of who was the one who was hiding the Arthur book. So I don't know if you are familiar with the Arthur books. They were all the rage in first grade where I went and everybody loved them and everybody beelined for them when it came for reading time and someone would hide them around the room and kind of stash them so they only had access to them and then we could never find them and I think they eventually surfaced and put them back on the bookshelf or whatever. But those bad boys were in high demand and so this was very troubling to everybody that we couldn't find the Arthur books when we wanted them and people didn't have enough Arthur books to go around so I was crushed when my teacher got up and pointed the finger at me and all the eyes were on me and I actually know who was hiding the books it wasn't me and I never ratted her out but it really left a mark especially in your formative years, those early experiences. And that's why it's important to know things like that, why you do what you do and think what you think and have the fears that you have. They can usually be traced back to some event like that, especially in your formative years. That's why it's especially important to be dialed into your childhood and growing up and all of those experiences. And experiences can leave a mark, whether you think that they do or don't, they can really get buried in your psyche. And if you don't process them, and feel them and experience them they really get buried in they can fester and they'll explode and come out at some point usually they're just uglier when they come out but it's important to know and I'm still just figuring myself out and had another aha moment when I figured out and this is getting really vulnerable but growing up so let me preface by saying I have a wonderful family and wonderful sensational parents like they were so so good and they love me and we've talked about it since We've made peace with it. They've apologized. Not that there necessarily was anything for them to apologize for. It was all unintentional. But growing up, I just always felt 
disconnected from my family, just the way that our our dynamics worked out. I just felt like I was always the odd one out. I never felt like I was really seen or heard. I knew that I was valued. I knew that they loved me, but still, I mean, you can know that intellectually, but emotionally still feel undervalued, unseen, and unheard. And I remember I had a grandparent who would constantly, and he'd he'd say this in a teasing way, but it was not a funny teasing way. Like, I mean, there was some real intent behind that and really meaning behind that. And he'd call me the devil and call my cousin an angel. And, oh, you're just the devil, Whitney. You're just the devil. And, oh, but my little angel. And he'd say your name. And things like that that you wouldn't think matter, they mattered. And it wasn't until talking with my family, just casually discussing memories, just like last month, I think it was, that it just dawned on me why I always felt so alienated and disconnected. And so on both sides of my family, had my grandparent doing that on one side and then another aunt on that side who so on both sides of my family there were issues with family members and some of it was intentional and some of it wasn't and no ill will and I love them and it's all good now but still it leaves a mark and it can have a lingering effect and there's a hierarchy on both sides of my family and I was never at the top of that hierarchy and I feel it even now it's incredible how I'm sent right back to Whitney as a kid whenever I'm around certain family members and how those hierarchies have held throughout all the years, even though we're adults now, and feeling so unseen, unheard, and unvalued. And it matters and it sucks. And I've noticed, I think that's really affected my relationships. I just was able to trace that back to the family dynamics and in my nuclear and extended family and how that's really impacted my life and my relationships and my sense of self and connection to self and connection to others. And I think that has a lot to do with why it's hard for me to answer simple questions and big questions. And I mean, there are other reasons for that too, but I think that's a big contributing factor. And so it's just getting to know yourself and holding space for all of that and I mean doesn't mean that you need to go on a rampage and call people to justice I think it's more about extending grace for yourself and others and understanding others and that's where empathy and connection come in and are those magic balms that help you understand and connect with others and when we empathize with people it's to understand where they're coming from, to connect to their experience and how they're perceiving their experience. And the more connected you are to yourself, the easier it is to make decisions, to know your values, to know what you want in a partner, a career, a dishwasher, a shampoo. And the more you connected to yourself you are, the more good you can contribute to the world. We all have a unique voice. We all have gifts that we can give the world. And when we connect to ourselves, we accept ourselves. And when we accept ourselves, we can live authentically. And when we live authentically, we can shine authentically and uniquely and give the world what nobody else can give it. Our voice, literally and figuratively, our talents, our gifts, our thoughts, our perspectives, our ideas. And when we're connected to ourselves, we can access those. And when we're connected to others, we can offer those and present those and gift those to the world. 
and a note about self-connection. So it's one thing to be aware of why you are the way that you are, have an idea of it, but it's another to actually act on that. So it's one thing to just be like, that's just the way that I am. Sometimes that can be a cop-out. Often that can be a cop-out. I mean, there's an additional step too. If you're being toxic, it's not enough to just be like, oh, I'm just very judgmental and or I just love to gossip and I just hate this or I'm just this or that or whatever. Why not take it a step further? Why would you want to be putting that out into the world and harming yourself and others in the process, right? So why not just take it a step further and act on that knowledge? And even we might not even realize how we're dragging others down. So that's why it's important, again, to to get to know ourselves and to know. And also, crucial, the more connected to ourselves we are, the happier we are, the more we feel seen and valued and accepted by ourselves, most importantly, but also others the more we can emotionally regulate. And that is important. That has a ripple effect. So here are some ways to connect to yourself. Get silent. Meditate. Spend time with yourself. Eliminate distractions. Reflect with intention. And this helps to both carve out time specifically for reflection and to also reflect on the fly. So like if you're in the moment, anytime you feel strong emotions or etc., check in with yourself. Why am I feeling this? Why am I feeling triggered right now? What is triggering me? Experiment, explore, try new things, entertain new ideas, listen to others, try things on, but still try to, what's important is to feel what resonates with yourself, to really dial in. Does this resonate with me physically, mentally, emotionally? What feels right? What feels like it fits? Consult trusted individuals for feedback on triggers, blind spots, etc. Sometimes an outside perspective can provide the illumination we need. Like my last breakup, my best friend Rachel gave me a life-altering insight and it has changed my perspective and connection to self. And I saw where I was abandoning myself, where I wasn't advocating for my wants and my needs. It made all the difference. It was truly transformational and couldn't have done that without her and she is a trusted individual someone who knows me someone who accepts me but also can level with me and that is so important so it needs to be a trusted individual and someone who's connected to themselves too that matters right again that's how you can connect to others she was able to connect to me because she is connected to herself and wasn't just projecting onto me or filtering through her own thoughts even though we all are to an extent but still she was able to really connect with me in a way that we needed to connect right then. Ask yourself questions. That's a great way to do it. Even simple ones can be surprisingly tough. Like, what's your favorite movie? That's impossible to answer. I don't know. For me, it is. For a lot of people that I've asked, it's just any of those favorite questions are really tough. And answer my questions, the questions that I ask on here on social media. I'm always asking questions daily and I love the feedback and I love hearing them. And to connect to others, Listen, that's probably the biggest one. Listen to others, really take them in and accept and absorb. And let's talk about social media and its effect on connection. So it can both cultivate and corrode connection. Am I right? So there's so much that goes into this. This is a big part of the conversation. Screens, they can distance us from others. We feel held to increasing, impossible, contradicting, varying, rapidly fluctuating standards that are different in one country from another, but then they're just all over the place and they're changing and one's ideal is another's 
worst nightmare and it's just impossible to meet those standards. And this causes us to feel compelled to only share our highlight reel, to beat ourselves up when we fall short, to constantly play the comparison game. And it, social media makes bullying and trolling easy, right? Keyboard warriors, it's so easy to say the most hurtful, damaging thing if you're not seeing that person face to face, if you're not clocking their emotions and you're able to just fire off that response and then not really have to deal with the the emotional consequences, right? It makes it easier to say what we don't mean, both if we're saying a nice thing or a not nice thing. Inauthenticity can be just as destructive as negativity. It's easy to create and present a filtered facade, so to play a role. To feel disconnected from ourselves and others, we should want that, we should do that, we should be that, we should achieve that, we should be influenced by that. It can make us lose touch with our actual personal wants and needs and strengths and blind spots and all of that. Customized content and divisive content. If you haven't seen The Social Dilemma, I highly recommend it. But customized content and divisive content, especially in this political climate, can create echo chambers. And this can disrupt our sense of up from down, of right from wrong, of factual from false, of left from right. It can throw our balance in every sense of the word. And it can make us feel like reality is what it's not. What a time to be alive. Social media can simultaneously, literally and figuratively distance us from the world. We live in a globally connected world, yet seem somehow so distanced from each other. We can hide behind screens, communicate and meet each other without moving from our couches. We can order food and anything else we could possibly want in. We could not make contact with the outside world physically for months, for years, right? We can lose literal and figurative touch with ourselves, with our friends, our family, even reality, as we feed it more and more of our time, our energy, our emotional bandwidth, and our overall power. So I challenge you to own your connection, to take control, and to connect. To start with you, to connect to yourself, to get to know yourself, to love yourself. This is sounding really hippie, but just to do your part, and that part starts with you starts with you and a note I also want to make is this is how we address the division around us in our country in our world we connect and this happens on two fronts so firstly connection is important because when we connect to ourselves we can remove that noise and that static that prevents us from connecting to others that lack of connection that makes us judgmental of others, that makes us hate the other side, that makes us not understand the other side, that blocks that empathy and that willingness to bridge that gap and to understand why others would think that the way that they do and do the things they do and advocate for what they advocate for. When we can connect on common ground, that allows us to bridge that gap and to forge alliances and work towards solutions instead of just butting heads when we're just combating each other, that's not getting us anywhere. That zero-sum game, that's not getting us anywhere. And so what I try to do if somebody responds to one of my posts or anything with some pretty strong language or some pretty strong opinions, I try to stay neutral anyways online. But if they are really being aggressive, then I try to find common ground because 
there's something that we can connect on. There is something that we can agree upon. And that's actually something that I have wanted to pursue more. I have a couple of initiatives and projects in the works for using on social media to try to connect people in that way more actively. But we can find those connections and common grounds in our day-to-day interactions. And especially when we're talking about politics or talking about some of these contentious issues, if we find those things that we can connect on. So for example, here's an example. Abortion is a pretty inflammatory issue, right? Pretty much everybody can agree that we don't want babies to die. So even the pro-choice people aren't like, kill all the babies. Yes, they don't deserve to live. That's not it at all. It's so much more nuanced than that. It's about choice. And so I'm not going to take either side, but my point is that there's something that you can connect on. And so virtually we can say everybody wants less abortions, right? I mean, we can generally say that people aren't like, we need more deaths in this world. We need to kill people. That's no, 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 no. That's not the underlying issue. Pretty much everybody can agree. We want less deaths. It's just one side thinks that there should be a choice for that. But the starting point that we can connect on and work from is we want less abortions and then we can work from there. So that's why it's so important to do that inner work first so you can work on those fears, those insecurities that are blocking you from seeing other people, from valuing other people, from understanding other people, from just reacting with hatred or judgment and from empathizing and really hearing people, seeing and hearing people. And again, connection is when you first do that work yourself, connect to yourself, then you can connect to others. And then we can change the world, right? Okay, so go fight, win, without the fight, go connect and win. That's the new slogan, go connect, win. And I love you guys. Thank you for listening.